You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, Faith family. I am excited to worship with you today in person and online, and I am uh, hope that you are ready. I'm ready to be in the Word. If you would turn in your Bibles, whether on your phones or uh, in your Bibles that you have in hand, to Ephesians chapter 3. As uh, many of you know, we've been going through Ephesians systematically over the last year or so, and uh, we are uh, about to complete the third chapter today. Yeah, we are biting it, we're biting it off in chunks, and so uh, this concludes the series that we started a little while back called One Nation Under God. It's one that we had planned uh, for over a year to be at in this period in time, and so I think that it is uh, very good to see the Lord's providence in that and all the things we've discussed so far. I know that today will be another one of those for some of us. It has been for me. Uh, I hope you'll be ready to jump there, starting in Ephesians 3, verse 14, when we get there in just a minute. Um, I will say also that this song that we're doing over the last few weeks, uh, one by City of Light, is one that really speaks to my heart. I often, uh, I grew up in a place, and I often go back to this place where, I mean a place like Gadsden, Alabama is the place, but I grew up in a spot where I heard a lot about God loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. And I've heard it over and over and over again, but I, I can tell you that for most of my understanding and most of my life, uh, I haven't really understood that the way I think that we should understand that. In fact, I would even say that sometimes we speak about that to the detriment of our reverence for God and about the fact that he is a holy God and the fact that we are sinners means that a holy, righteous, perfect God who's completely other than anything else in the universe should not be in relationship with us at all. And so the fact that he is a completely holy God and that he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him through Jesus should astound us and should change how we live in a daily way. But the problem we're going to address today and that Paul, I think, addresses in his prayer for the Ephesians and, and, and for us because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit and God's word is for now as much as it is for the time it was originally written. The problem is, is that I think most of us, even though we've heard growing up that life in Christ is meant to be a relationship, that Jesus wants a relationship with you, is that very few of us, and I would say all of us go through phases where we're not this way, very few of us experience God in his fullness daily. Very few of us experience God in his fullness daily. I mean, we say we believe, and for most of us, I would think that that's true. If you're listening today, you probably do believe in Jesus, at least intellectually, probably at a heart level, that you've been changed by God, you've been made into a new creation because you believed on Jesus, repented of your sin. But we don't always experience God in a manifest, real way. In fact, some of us are afraid of even talking about that because we think we're going to edge over into this Pentecostal or what we might consider to be a little too uh, crazy Christian, right? But the truth is, our spirituality, our religion, our faith is not ever and never would be, never will be, never has been meant to be an intellectual alone faith. It is meant to be intellectual. God is not a God that acts outside of reason. He gave us intellect and reason for a purpose. And back in the day, back around the Enlightenment time when that age turned, uh, theology was called the queen of the sciences even, right? Because it is a reasoning faith. But it is never meant to be just purely an intellectual faith. But I would 
dare to say that most of us, even though we are created to enjoy God, even though we are recreated to enjoy God, we don't really in, in a real manifest way experience him in an ongoing way, daily or even weekly. And so today our cry out should be, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. So we're going to look at a prayer that Paul speaks over the Ephesians, the second of prayers in this letter he writes to them. And it's a prayer that will speak to our hearts as well, I think, in this way. Let me restate the problem succinctly in this way. I think we know much truth about God, but we don't experience much of God daily. Now, that may be different for some of us compared to others, and it may be that some days are more than others. But do you, could you say you experience God daily, or even all day, every day? He is present with you if you are in Christ. He has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within you, connecting you with the Father and the Son, and he resides in you. But do you experience him in a real relational way? Let's look at Ephesians 3. 14 through 21, and then we'll pray as we begin. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together these things. Father, we need you. Every hour we need you. And you provide for our needs. You put breath in our lungs. You key our brains to function autonomically. You give us the desires of our heart when our desires are set on you. You, you lead us down the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You, you, you protect us from temptation. You keep us out of the place that would lead us away from you. As long as we are in your will, Lord, we love you and we cherish you, we adore you. But oftentimes, Lord, we don't even recognize your presence. So today I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts. You would change our inner being. And that that would change how we live and breathe and speak and rejoice. And that you would be real to us as much as you really reside in us every moment of every day. And we ask that in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's just break this text down a little at a time. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. That's a unique statement in itself because uh, you go back and read the Old Testament, you see even when Jesus talks about praying, he says, and when you stand and pray, pray like this, right? When you stand and pray at the synagogue. Here, Paul is going another step. It wasn't something that was never done, but it's not the normal that was done with God's people. Here he says, he bows his knee before the Father. Just like he says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father, right? He says he reverentially bows his knee. God's holiness 
And even above that, in some ways here, Paul iterates his fatherhood over him. He bows the knee to his father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's a unique statement. This is an unusual statement for Paul to make. It fits right in with what he's been saying right before this, talking about that we are now one people, one family in Christ, that we are a new type of people, that we are no longer Jew or Gentile. We are now in Christ the church, right? And he says here, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That means every family, every people group, all named under God, all the places in heaven where the people are, that would be mostly actually the angels, the peoples there would be the angels and the people have gone before us, the classifications of angels, everyone under the name of God. And why that's unique is because, and you've heard this probably before, but in the Old Testament, it is in old ancient times, a name was much more than just something you're called by. A name defined you. So you were given a name for a specific purpose and you inherited a name for a specific person, son of so-and-so, because that defined who you were, where you came from. It also meant that you were under the authority and headship of that person. And so here we say again in these verses, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. What reason is he talking about even? If you go back, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He had just started to say this prayer and interrupted himself with a 13 Verse excursus, look at it, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he diatribes from verse 2 on, and then comes back to it in verse 14. For this reason, what reasons he's talking about? Most likely he's referring to everything before it. For the reasons that God has, before the foundation of the earth, chosen us to be adopted into his family that he sent Jesus to redeem us and to, to spill out his blood to pay the price we should pay for our sins, that he then gives the Holy Spirit to secure us and to seal us into his family. And then he prays after that a, a prayer at the end of chapter 1. And he goes into chapter 2 saying that you, like everyone else, you were dead in your trespasses and sins until God made you alive in Christ Jesus. Not, not of your own doing, but by the grace of God you've been saved, right? And for good works. And then he goes into talking about how that makes you a part of a family, a new race, a new people group, right? And you're a part of that. And he says, for this reason I pray for you. And just immediately, verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And for all these reasons, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Let me just... Let you remember something according to this truth. Something I think we should recognize as people that believe in Jesus and put our hope in him. You are defined by the one to whom you belong. That's whom you're defined by. You are not defined by your earthly family of origin. You are defined by your eternal family of origin if you're in Jesus Christ. That is good news, right? All of us have got some baggage for things we grew up in. All of us have some things that we wish we could go back and change or not endure. And I'm telling you now, you're not defined by those things. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're defined by your eternal family, whom God is your father. You're defined by him. You're also not defined by your failures or your successes. You're not defined by the ways you've messed up, the ways you've done wrong. You're not defined by the ways you've done good. You're not defined by all the good things you've done and all the things you bring to the table. You're not defined by that at all. You are defined by the one who seemingly failed by worldly standards, but who in the failure of death actually succeeded in securing your salvation 
on the cross. And in his resurrection, he proved it to the world that he has overcome Satan, sin, death, and hell on our behalf. You were defined by that one, not by your successes or failures. And you're also not defined by the sin to which you were once enslaved and the sin in which now you might become entangled, or which even now you might be entangled. It does not define you. You're defined by the one who liberated you from your enslavement to sin. You're defined by the one who adopted you into his eternal family. Listen closely, church. You're also not defined by your intellectual abilities to regurgitate scripture or to regurgitate doctrine or even to wax theologically about God or even to pray eloquently Some of you have great acute ability to do so. It doesn't mean it's not real, but I'm telling you, you're not defined by it. You are defined by the real, personal sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and by the fact that he died to save you, not just from hell, not just from sin, but to be in a real, ongoing, daily relationship with him every day for the rest of eternity. And you're not special because of what you're good at or because of what you're able to do. You're special because God chose you. Because God loves you. You are special no matter how special you feel or how special you don't feel because God chose to love you and to save you and to adopt you. His choosing you makes you special above all other things. Yes, those things you do, the giftings you have that make you unique, but you are special because God loves you and gave his son to die for you on the cross. God, because of his great love, has chosen to bring you into a real experiential relationship with him. You are his and he defines you. Let us remember those things. I think that's what Paul is saying here as he begins. In verse 16 through 19 is gonna do this for us. It's going to help us to understand what we need to experience fully this relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. So let's break this down, verse 16 and 17. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me restate it like this a little bit more succinctly. Our inner being needs to be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Now, don't log off to that right now. I want you to hear this again. Our inner being needs to be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Let me break it down a little bit. The inner being. What do you mean by inner being? It sounds weird, new agey. It's not. The inner being is words used in Scripture. It's referring to the Old Testament idea of the center of who we are, also referred to as the heart, the seat of our emotions, our will, our desires. What the Bible calls our heart is that, the inner being, who we are on the inside. He's saying our inner being needs to be strengthened with with the power, the power by the Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Some of you might say, but that's weird. Jesus already dwells in my heart. All right, let me encourage you, and then we'll jump on that. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We do not lose heart. 
Just like he said in verse 13 of Ephesians here, Paul says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And many of us know about that, right? Amen? Anybody? He says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I pray this prayer over my children every night. At the end of our prayers, I pray, Lord, please, as we go to sleep tonight, first I say, please keep everyone in their own beds all night. (laughs) And then I say, renew and refresh us so that tomorrow we may enjoy you more. He alone can refresh us in our inner being, even with our outside failing. And he said, but Jesus already dwells in my heart. What are you talking about? What's Paul talking about here? Does Jesus already dwell in your heart? If you're a believer in Christ, I say, yes, he does, and kind of not sometimes. Hear me right. Let me explain. Jesus dwells in your heart if you put your hope and faith in Jesus and you've been born again. Yes, that is true. But he does not always dwell in you by his spirit to the fullest degree possible every day, all day. And that's because we quench the Holy Spirit. It's a hard statement. It's part of this whole kingdom is here but not yet thing. Okay, it seems like a paradox, uh, because it is, our language folds in on itself. But let's break this down just a little bit here. Look at the verses again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking to people that are already believers. So he must be saying that in some way they aren't having Christ dwell in their hearts. In fact, this word for dwell, he could have used another word. This word for dwell actually means to reside continually, kind of forever idea. Not just to abide somewhere for a little while, but to reside forever, to be filled completely, to find, have a finishing place to live, where we all hope we moved the last time would be the finishing place, right? Because everybody hates moving, amen? That's horrible. He's saying here that you would dwell, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we need to be strengthened in our inner being by his Holy Spirit. So here's how we know that we're not fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit in a way that we should be and will be in eternity when we're with him fully at that point in time. Here's how we know we still doubt. We still worry. We still wring our hands with anxiety. We still go throughout our day with very few thoughts of Jesus and what he's done for us. We still sin. We forget that God is even present with us at times, if not for whole days at a time. Listen, all of us experience the spiritual highs. If you've been a believer, you've experienced a spiritual high of salvation with great enthusiasm. And then we sometimes wonder why God seems to be so far from us at other points in time, even when we're doing everything right. Those dry and desolate times. Why can't all of our lives be that mountaintop experience? Haven't you wondered that? Haven't you desired that? I mean, we would love to be that way. That's what it will be when eternity is here and God is fully present and sin is wiped away. But we go through these things now. Why do we have to go through these things? Let me say this. I believe that God allows or apportions for us times of experiencing spiritual desolation so that we can be reminded that we are not yet fully who we are or where we should be. I believe it's his mercy to actually allow us to experience the low times. Because in such moments, God reveals the areas of our lives that need to be changed and shaped still into the image of Jesus. That is grace. 
You wouldn't look for it if it was always a mountain high. You wouldn't be caring so much that you don't look like Jesus in this way or that without those lows. The low moments are what keep us leaning into the arms of our Savior so that we rely on Him, cry out to Him, pursue Him the way He's eternally pursued us. We have not arrived and we will not arrive in our own strength and in our own intellectual abilities. In order to be filled completely by the Spirit of God every moment of every day, we must be strengthened by God's Holy Spirit daily, regularly. That's why we can see these prayers should be our prayers. Lord, that according to the riches of His glory, Your glory, that You may grant to us to be strengthened with power through Your Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So we can pray like, Lord, Father, please strengthen us right now. Give us what we need right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the work of your Son, so that Christ Jesus, your Son, may dwell in our hearts. You can make this happen in us, Lord. Father, you can do this for us. We cannot do it. Lord, we believe, but oh, Lord, help our unbelief. This is where we are every day, whether we recognize it or not. When He helps our unbelief, when He makes these things happen, when He strengthens our inner being so that we might believe and that God might be filling us fully by His Holy Spirit, that means He's turning our eyes to Jesus. We're staring into the face of our Savior. We're being filled with His grace and glory. And in those moments, we will be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Rooted, deeply rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. When storms come, we will not waver. When trials come, we won't give way. Not because we're strong, but because the love of Christ secures us. Not because we've overcome, but because God in us has strengthened us because He is our strength and He has overcome. When people come against us, we will stand firm in the love of Christ. And His truth is what we will speak and act out His mercy and grace. For the love of Christ will compel us when we are grounded and rooted in Him. When we don't see the evidence, church, of our impact that we yearn to see in our gospel mission that we're on, we will remain steadfast in our evangelism and disciple-making efforts because we're not nourished by the outcomes we do or do not see, but we are nourished on our Savior who is our solid rock. goes on verse 17 he says so that christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that you talking to the church spirit speaking to us now that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god say it like this the second thing that we need that he's praying for here is this we need the strength to comprehend or grasp depending on what translation you're looking at there we need the strength to comprehend or grasp and to experientially know the infinite love of christ that surpasses knowledge there's a weird word in this couple of verses it's the word that's translated as comprehend or grasp we're going to talk about it for just a minute to get a better understanding for it it's a very unique term it's a word that denotes listen to this this is kind of weird listen to it it's a word that denotes a violent struggle to overcome and to gain control over something 
It was often used originally to talk about someone overcoming someone violently to rob them. But this word is used here. We've become very accustomed to this word, but let's think about it in those terms. To grasp something in this way implies an active wrestling with truth in order to fully own and experience it. I mean, it's something we have to do. God empowers us, he strengthens us, and we wrestle with it, we grasp for it, we try to comprehend it, we work for it. Colossians 3, 15 through 16 gives us an idea on this. He says this, Paul says here, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You're like, well, how do you let the peace of Christ rule? You fight to get all the other junk out and let Christ be your peace because he is powerful enough, but you've got to turn away from the other junk to find that. Turn away from other things that cloud it. Get it out of the way. Fight to push it out by his power, by his strength, his moving of the Holy Spirit. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, how does that happen? You put the word of Christ in your heart by studying the word of God. You pursue it. You stare at it. You ask the Lord to clarify it for you. You ask the Lord to bring it back to your memory, to settle it into your heart. You keep staring at it and memorizing and working on it, trying to grasp it. You go through a whole day thinking on one phrase, one word, Lord, what does this mean? Show me what this is talking about. Show me what this means for me today. How does this mean I should live differently? You struggle with it. You fight with it. You try to grasp it to, to make it your own, to experience him in a real way in those moments with those truths. For this to happen, though, we need God to strengthen us in our inner being supernaturally, for we are weak, brothers and sisters. You try to go throughout the day speaking to him and asking those things and find how quickly we get distracted. See how many times it takes you to be reminded by little things God puts in your path to bring you back to him. We are weak. How weak are we? Well, let's, let's look at this. This is the way we could do this. This is how we could struggle with these things, right? Look at the verses again, verse 17, 18. Starting in 17a, 17b, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Do you yet grasp the breadth of Christ's love? His blood covers all of your sins. If we were to take all of our sins together and pack them one after the other all over the ground, all throughout the parking lot, they'd probably go a mile high. And his blood covers all those sins. It goes beyond anything we could think of. Psalm 103 talks about it like this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for, toward those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord. Have you fathomed what that means for you, for me? When I fathom that, when I begin to ask the question, Lord, reveal to me the breadth of Christ's love for me and how wide it goes and how much it covers the multitude of my own sins, the sins of my children, the sins of my family, the sins of my friends, the sins of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, all those who need saving, who Christ can save because his blood is enough, it begins to bring my heart to worship. Lord, you alone deserve glory. Lord, you alone will strengthen me that I might be filled with your love, God, like I am right now as I remember what you've done already. Do you fully grasp the links to which Christ went in order to, to bring you to a place where you could experience his unending love? 
Just think about the lengths that he's gone to. The Son of God, fully God, who became fully man, uniting deity and humanity in one person. Impossible, yet made possible because he's God. He stepped out of heaven and condescended, humiliated himself to become one of us. But even more, not just to become one of us, but to serve us. The God that we've defamed, the God that we've blasphemed, the God that we've sinned against over and over and over came to serve us, to humble himself, to not just wash our feet, but to spill his blood, to pay for our sins. If your heart even now is not turned to him a little more, turn your face to Christ now to be assured that you are his. We so quickly can say because I believe a truth that I'm his instead of seeing that before our eyes our Lord is displayed over and over again, even though accomplished 2,000 years ago, over and over again in our hearts it should bring us to repentance. All of life should be repentance as Luther has taught us, as Paul has taught us, as the Holy Spirit teaches us now. Have you ever pondered how great that step was even? The greatest step of mankind. We thought it was a great step to step on the moon. To step out of eternity. To step into a crib. A manger. To step to the cross. When he was abandoned, hated, reviled, chastised, left by himself, by all his friends he'd poured into for years. He could have pulled himself right off of there and destroyed everyone. Instead, he endured. Because his love is that lengthy. He endured to the end. To the end of death. Perfectly lived that life that we cannot live never indulging in the instantaneous gratifications of the flesh, even though he was tempted like every single one of us. Always held the line. Came to seek each and every one of us out to save us. Do you daily experience the height of his love? The height of love that he attained on the cross for us? His love draws you from the depths of your depravity and brings you instantaneously into the throne room. Not to receive the judgment that we deserve, but instead to be able to approach the throne with boldness, receiving forgiveness for our sins, being declared righteous in the clothing of Christ so that we can ask for whatever we want and need in that moment and that in Christ we will receive those things. We can imagine the height and the difference between here and there. Yet Christ has overcome for us. The height of his love is infinite to our imagination. The greatest chasm we can ever imagine between the sinful world and the glories of heaven have been spanned by the great height of Jesus' love for you and for me. Do we experience this love daily? I do not. I yearn to. I want it. In this moment, are you experiencing this overflowing love from him to us? If so, then fight for it, brothers and sisters. 
Struggle for it. Grasp for it. Take hold of it. Endeavor to do whatever it takes to get back into that face-to-face relationship with Christ. Putting everything else away. Killing the sin before it kills you. Taking hold of Jesus as he has taken hold of the cross for us. As he grabbed our sin and stuck it under the grave for us. Let us do so now. Take everything we have. Muster all the strength we have to fight that thing. In his strength, because we have not the strength, let us fight for those things. Fight, struggle, wrestle. Do everything we can. Because Jesus has made the way. In fact, he is the way. That's the beauty of it. All you have to do is turn back to him. He's the way. And lastly, do you experience the the depth of his love? He descended from the heights of heaven to the lowest places of the earth in order to seek and to save you and bring you home. And in his endeavor to save you, he dove under the sea of our sin, plumbing its depths beyond their crushing point because he loves you and wants you to be in a real experiential relationship with him for the rest of eternity, every day, every moment. And this grasping that he empowers us to do by renewing our inner being will find its fullness as we commune together as the church of Jesus. This is where we will experience him in another deep and real way that we cannot experience him alone. And so I, I, I applaud you, brothers and sisters, for gathering here or online at home. I applaud you for taking the time to invest in one another, to be here together, to sit under the word of God as we all sit under the word of God together right now. And I endeavor to beg you to never lay it down, to do it in your car as we do drive-in church, to do it in this room, to do it at home, to do it when you can, if you can't do it at the same time. But do not forsake the gathering of the believers, even if it means weirdly in this day and time. It is the way in which we receive a fullness of Christ that we do not receive alone. Everything in this passage, we can't see it here in the, in the English. If you go back and read the Greek, every word you in here is actually plural because it's talking about the church. So read these lines differently. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you, all of you, Together as a church to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You together who are being built up into the temple, right? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts, all of your hearts together through faith. That you, all of you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. You see? All the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, experiential knowing Him, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let us, church, seek out the Lord now, even in prayer, together as we speak to Him, that He would fill us with the fullness of Himself, and that we would walk in His Spirit, fully having Christ dwelling in us, And every day, let us encourage one another. Let us not forsake the gathering together on Sundays or midweek, whenever we have the opportunity to gather other believers for the purpose of encouraging one another, singing spiritual psalms and hymns together, speaking of the truth, reading the word, and planting it on our hearts. Let us do it alone daily, two, three times a day, but let us also do it together, even if it's through digital means.
Let us seek out the Father now for his blessing on that and to lead us where we cannot go on our own. Father, bring us into the experience of your great love that surpasses mere knowledge, that is greater than intellectual understanding. And fill us with your fullness that can only be found in Jesus, in his love for us, in his great love for us. We cannot understand in our own strength, but you can fill us, Father, with such great understanding as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, not just here, but in our hearts and in our innermost being to experience you. Please do not let us wander in our intellectual wanderings, but let us taste and see that you are good. Let us experience you according to the riches of your glory, even now and every day. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.